Hi, I'm Gabe. Hi, I'm Maya. And welcome to the second episode of the Scouts podcast. I hope we find you well as we record this show deep into lockdown free. Yeah, still locked down. How are things though, Gabe? You okay? You keeping well? Yeah, you know, everything's all right. Just struggling on and looking forward to the day that we can all hang out again. Well, not long now, we hope. So we're not together physically, but we are virtually and ready to go with another episode of the Scouts podcast. Yes, an exciting, informative and important episode for you today as you welcome our special guest who has been described glowingly by Bustle magazine as a triple threat. She's a writer, a musician, an activist and she is someone that is going to help us navigate loads of important topics in today's episode. As we ask, how can we stand up for LGBTQ plus rights? So let's welcome the amazing Rita Loy. Oh, thank you so much, Myra and Gabe. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. Not at all. We've really been looking forward to having you on. So, Rita, we like to start each podcast the same way with a huge question, as it gives us and our audience a chance to get to know you. So, let's dive into your Spotify playlist. What is your favourite genre of music? Oh, wow. Um, well, firstly, I think as a Londoner, you, you're in such a sort of, we're so lucky to have so many different, amazing, great sounds and cultures around us um, that it kind of really influences the music that we hear and, and, you know, just the food that's available to us and the languages that we hear around us and um, the colours and costumes. I think it's such a great cultural melting pot that I think, firstly, a lot of my musical influences come from being a Londoner. And I also think that growing up um, listening to a lot of Indian music, um, particularly Indian classical music and Indian film music, really opened my mind to so many different types of sounds because we have so many different scales in the East and we have so many different ways of structuring music and songs. So I think that's really opened opened me up to so many different types of music. So I really love um, soul music, hip-hop music. I, I love like old Bollywood songs from films from when I was growing up. I love dance music, breakbeat, drum and bass, garage. I kind of love everything. I'm not a massive fan of Christmas songs, though, I've got to say. You're quite varied, though. <laughs> Pretty varied. Yeah, yeah it sounds yeah. like it, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. What about you guys? What What do you listen to? Okay, so this week I've been listening to um, a band called Stereolab. They do, like, some... Oh, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, love amazing. Um, I was listening to the album Dots and Loops. That's one of awesome. my favourites. Yeah. That's great. Well, I feel like I've been listening to a lot of UK rap recently. Mm, nice. So I love kind of like all the mainstream people right now, but like you said... I. I'm quite varied as well, so just so many different genres. It's mm. great. That's the best way to be, I think. Mm. I like the fact that you mentioned um, just the mixture of cultures, etc. Because I was about to ask you about the music that you make. Um, I've heard your EP that you released, and I can hear there's a lot of different types of genres that are there. Is the music that you make also a reflection from the, the different cultural backgrounds that you are talking about? Yeah, 100%. I sort of found myself wondering... You know, why I don't see as many Asian music artists, you know, in the UK and in the States and, and in the West, really. Um, when I think about the Asian artists that I know, their their music is so varied and so broad, it's really hard to pigeonhole. And I think I'd say that for me, it's really hard to describe my music because I kind of feel the same way about it. And so I can make something that is really influenced by cinematical classical sounds. So, you know, I have a song called Goody, which is 
which means girl in in Hindi and Punjabi and and a lot of Arabic and and Eastern languages, and it's it was influenced by the sort of innocence of my childhood, you know, and uh, and it's it was inspired by my mum singing to me as a child, and so there there are small sounds that I've used in there, like there's a sound that sounds a bit like a music box that I had when I was small, and I tried to recreate that sound. Um, so I really like using sounds that remind me of things or that have a particular memory to them. Um, so there are some people that really like that song, but they, they probably won't like some of my other stuff, which is a bit glitchy and experimental. So that kind of stuff is, is sort of really influenced by, yeah, the music I grew up with, but also the beats of the London club scene, you know, and growing mm. up, going to, going to parties that were, that were playing, yeah, like I said, garage drum and bass, you know, breakbeat dancehall grime you know a lot of them being very london london created and centered sounds um and being influenced by that as well but sometimes it's really hard to know where where that influence comes from as well you know Mm -hmm. yeah definitely you mentioned there about your childhood and growing up in london so i'd like to take you back to those days if i can and just ask you about how you managed to navigate that time because lgbtq plus wasn't something that was openly talked about then so for you, coming out, did you feel well supported or did you have to look beyond your family and friends at that time to find allies? Um, that's a really good question, Maya. I think um, for me personally, when I came out, I worked out that I was or realised that I was gay when I was um, 18. And yeah, as a child, I was always... I was always quite gender queer or gender fluid. Um, some some people use the word non-binary. I I I feel comfortable with the word gender fluid. I identify as a woman, and um, my pronouns are she they. Um, however, I think you know it's only really recently that I've started to really understand my gender space because, as a kid, I was always in boys' clothes, and as a little Indian girl. You know, I should have been wearing little Indian dresses and these really awful frilly ones that my sisters had to wear as well, which I <laughs> luckily escaped from, except for one photo evidence that's available that no one will ever see. Um, but in general, I got away with wearing boys' clothes and playing football and riding my BMX and not really doing the typical things that girls were doing around me. So my cousin's sisters, who were older than me, would all be in the kitchen and... What I noticed was that um, when they got to about 11 years old, they'd go into the kitchen, they'd be cooking a lot and learning from their mums, and they'd never be out playing. And I was younger, so I was still out playing. But I noticed that the girls would, the the boys would carry on playing, and then the girls would, would go in and be in the kitchen. And when they got to about 17, they would be married to someone they didn't know. They had, they'd have an arranged marriage to... Um, a guy that was chosen by our family. So I kind of just avoided the kitchen because I worked out that if I didn't learn how to cook, then I wouldn't have to get married because no mother-in-law would ever want their son to marry a, a girl that couldn't cook. So I carried on playing football and carried on riding my BMX and hanging out with the boys and uh, just never, never really had to enter the kitchen. I kind of got away with it for a really long time. Um, and then I um, realised that the that the pressure was was starting to heat up a bit about the arranged marriage conversations. Mm. Around what and, age? Sorry. 
This was probably about 13, 14. Okay. Uh, at that point, I knew that I I had three cousin sisters older than me. So I knew I was three weddings away from my wedding. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and at this point, I knew that I, I I didn't want to do this. But I hadn't worked out that I was, I was gay or, or queer or any of this stuff. So um, I studied really hard and convinced my my parents to let me go to university and that's how I kind of swerved the arranged marriage bullet um for for a little while longer (laughs) um and that's when I um I discovered that I was gay um and I was 18 but I didn't tell my parents until about 10 years later until I was sort of about 27 the reason for that is because they're, they're very conservative and I knew that it would it would be devastating for them um, and I didn't want to lose them, and I knew that disownment was, was a, a real possibility, as, as sadly it is in our culture. Um, and so I'd met somebody who I'd fallen in love with and wanted to spend my life with, and I thought, okay, I don't want to lie to them anymore, so, so now it's time mm. to tell them. So the support that I had to answer your question really came from the friends that I had around me at that time. You know, I was very lucky that I had... Uh, friends that were really supportive and um, sadly some weren't and some were and the ones that were are still some of my best friends today so um, I think that you know if it's something that you um, are experiencing or you have some questions about I think it's really really important to have a good set of friends and and supporters um, around you even if it's even if it's just you know a couple of people that know um, who have your back and support you and will listen to you um, so that, that you have that support before you come out to family because sometimes for some people coming out to family can be a bit of a challenge yeah so yeah. I was lucky to have that support and when I did come out to my parents unfortunately um, it was a really really hard um, conversation and they didn't they didn't actually handle it very well um, and I think uh, it was that experience that actually led me to to do the activism and the work that I do now. Well, yeah, it must have been a difficult time for you, Rita. So thank you for opening up and sharing that. Um, yeah, so let's explore the LGBTQ plus community more in general, because when it comes to those letters, I think it's important for us and our listeners to be really clear on what we're talking about today, because LGBTQ plus can mean different things to different people. Mm. OK, so... LGBT um, stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender, right? And often you, you get Q put on the end, which is, is usually, usually means queer, um, but it can mean questioning. So lesbians identify as people, you know, are people that tend to identify as women who are primarily attracted to other women. Gay tends to be the word that is often used by men, by, by men who are predominantly a, a, attracted to other men. Um, bisexual can be men or women who are attracted to either men or women and are often attracted to both. And transgender is the word that's used to define um, not sexuality but gender actually. So within our community we have um, our sexuality which is sort of related to who we're attracted to and then our 
gender, which is really how we would uh, how we choose to identify in terms of um, how we would define our gender, and our gender is really really related to our masculinity and our femininity. So, for example, um, some people identify as male, some people identify as female. Um, for me, I identify as gender fluid because. I feel that I have masculinity and femininity and I love them both and I celebrate them both and I'm comfortable expressing myself with both of those sort of at the same time and I feel comfortable with the body that I'm in, in a woman's body and I don't want to transition or change my body. So transgender is usually the word that's used to define um, the gender space and usually for people that want to transition um, and change their body often in some way to be recognized physically and the way that they feel internally and emotionally and spiritually. Um, now, within the word transgender, and, and actually as part of that plus, we actually have other words that would define the gender space and the sexuality space as well. So I mentioned queer, and the word queer, um, I quite like, and I use it quite a lot, because I think in everyday usage, it actually just means that you're somebody that thinks outside of what's normative or what's the norm, you know? So society tells us that we should be only attracted to the opposite sex. Society also tells us that our gender is the same as, as, as the sex or, or the body that we're born into, right? Um, society tells us all kinds of things that are quite conventional and, and you know, kind of majority ways that, that society should operate. But if we question those or we're curious or we don't necessarily feel like that's us, then we can, we can define ourselves as queer. And I think queer is a really lovely place to be because it's just, to me, it just means that you're really curious and you're constantly curious. Um, then there are other letters that are in there, um, in the plus. Um, so, for example, one is P for pansexual, which is, is, is sort of like, uh, it's a bit like bisexual, but the difference with pansexual is you're saying that actually it's not just uh, men and women that I'm attracted to, it's, it's anybody that identifies with um, anywhere within the gender space. So um, you could be trans or you could be non-binary or gender fluid or whatever, it doesn't, doesn't matter, I just really love people and that's what I'm attracted to. Then we have I for intersex, which is one that's been added more recently and is so crucial because um, a lot of people, their physical experience of their sex or their gender don't necessarily cor correlate physically. And so there's, there's a really wonderful active activist called Anik who talks about their intersex experience and produced a show called The Intersex Diaries, which tells you a lot more about that space if you want to learn more. But essentially, the overall umbrella, if you like, of LGBT plus or LGBTQ plus is constantly growing. And I think the reason for that is that we're starting to really understand the complexity and variations and variety and all the really beautiful stuff about being a human being when it comes to who we're attracted to and how we define ourselves. And I think that's really great. You know, I think that's really wonderful that there's so much language around it now. I think it's really good to, to explore it and to talk about it um, with people you feel safe with as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's really key. And one thing I will say, like, 
not just exploring it because exploring is important but um how can we also celebrate the lgbtq plus community because you know celebrating and making people feel welcome is also important so how do we celebrate i think there are lots of ways to celebrate and um the best thing i've learned about how to do that well is to to really listen to the people that are from that community and to to try and understand what it is that their experience may be and also to allow that to have some empathy and compassion for that for that person um I think that's that's one way is to to really listen. I think another way is to really sort of fight our corner because a lot of us are um, quite marginalised in society as LGBTQ plus people. Sometimes um, we can experience negativity or uh, or abuse. Sadly, you know, even when we're sort of walking down the street. And so I think it's really important to call that stuff out. So whether that's stuff you see online or on social media, I think, you know, we need our allies to be supporting us because we can't do it alone. We really need um, our safety to be taken care of by the people around us too. So that's another thing you can do is just call stuff out and and follow people online that um, are going to enable you to learn, you know, other LGBTQ plus activists who are going to enable you to learn about what their experience is and... Um, call anything out on social media that anyone says that's 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 negative as well and just share love just really give us a lot of love and positivity and support in those spaces too and another thing is to um to sign petitions because there are a lot of rights that that we're still looking for there are still lots of countries in the world where it's a criminal offense to be to be gay or part of the lgbt plus community um India actually only changed its legislation in 2018. So it's really brand new to not be criminalized. You know, imagine that just for the the love that you share with somebody that you could be put into jail is just shocking for me to think that Mm. something as beautiful as, as love shared between two consenting adults should be legislated in any way. So we still really need to change the reality of what our rights are and we still have something like 70 countries in the world where it's a criminal offense and legislation is shifting slowly but we 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 have to fight to make that happen sadly it isn't happening by itself it's happening through us lobbying governments and getting petitions signed and making lots of noise in the media about you know the fact that love is a human right and it's a right that we're all born with and that's really why we're here is to experience that um, so yeah, there's some of the ways that I think people can be good allies. Yeah, it's about lending your voice to the fight, isn't it? Um, and Rita, in your experience, living and working in and around the LGBTQ plus community, what are the day-to-day challenges you see people facing? Um, I think mental health is a challenge on a day-to-day basis. There are many reasons for that. I think one of the reasons um, is uh, is isolation. I think that um, finding community and finding people like ourselves um, and points of connection are, are so vital. Um, and that's really the reason that I started Gaysians four years ago. And by the way, if anybody wants to find support or other people or, or um, we have a helpline number, we have, like I said, meetups, different faith groups up and down the country, whatever your identity may be. Um, if you're LGBTQ plus and South Asian, then 
if you head to gations.org, there's a ton of info on there to help you feel connected. Um, because I think that is one of the hardest things. Um, and actually, if you're not South Asian, there are still lots of organizations on gations.org that are there for you as well. Um, lots of the organizations we partner with, there are 24 organizations that we form our, our network and, you know, including homelessness uh, support if you're experiencing that at all or if you're in an unsafe environment um, and you feel that you need to talk to somebody and maybe find some temporary housing, all of that we have on the site and it's not just for South Asians as well. Um, a lot of those organisations cater to, to everybody that is LGBTQ+. So, yes, I'd say we are more likely to experience um, challenges with our mental health, largely due to isolation and also um, uh, challenges around homelessness because we may not feel supported in the home environments that we're in. So because of that, I think there are sort of everyday, day-to-day needs around our well-being and um, feeling connected that we need to really place at the centre of our lives. Um, and on an, on an individual basis, I think part of that is just um, reaching out to people. I think that's so important. Yeah. And for that support network, Rita, those people outside the LGBTQ plus community how can you make sure they're not, you know, being performative, you know, jumping on the bandwagon in order to keep up appearances? Um, I think there's a lot of performativism. Is that a word? <laughs> I guess it I can make be up now. words. <laughs> yeah, I make I make up words all the time. Um, let's make that a word. Mm. Yeah, there's a it lot makes of sense. performativism. It yeah, it does, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. I can't really say it properly, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of that. Um, and and Gabe, I think. That's inside and outside the LGBTQ plus community. Um, and I think it's really important on an individual basis to really ask why, why am I doing something? Why do I want to do this thing, right? And it's interesting because sometimes the why has never been interrogated. For example, I, so I journal every day, I write every morning um, and I really recommend it as a way to Firstly, shift shift your mood. Um, for some reason, you just feel better when you write every morning. And I think it's just because you get the the external layers of stuff out of your brain and, and, and onto a page and you can go about your day. Firstly, I think secondly, it's, it's a really useful exercise as a creative discipline because you become more connected to your subconscious, especially if you write first thing in the morning when you wake up. And what's interesting is I've been doing that for so many years that I have, well, firstly, I have tons of journals. So moving house was interesting. <laughs> but I went, I, I started looking through some of my old journals and I noticed that why was I so fixated on getting a record deal and being a professional musician as being the, the ultimate goal of success as a music artist when actually what I think the, the ultimate symbol of success as, as a musician is actually creating the most beautiful music that I can be most proud of myself, you know? And obviously as an artist, you want to share that with people. But I want to share that with people because they love it, you know, not not because I need to feel validated. So I think there's something about performativism um, that requires us to really ask the question, why? What is it that you're really trying to achieve by doing that? Is it because you want to look a certain way or be seen a certain way or achieve a particular goal that is actually actually very external. 
And I think it's really important to be authentic. It's so important to be authentic and to have integrity. You know, like I know that when I do any given thing, there's a reason why I'm doing it because it's actually so baked into the core of who I am. And anything that doesn't feel like it's baked into the core of who I am, I don't, I don't know why I would do it. So I think sometimes, you know, when we're doing things because we want to be seen a certain way or because we have a certain goal, but we don't really know how, why, you know, what, why we have that goal, I think it's really important to come back to the why. So with any given thing, it's kind of like, why am I doing this? And often when we, when we interrogate certain things, it doesn't make sense for us, actually. I don't know if that answers the question. No, it does. I think that's quite a philosophical like um, approach to thinking about it. Thinking about, you know, our essence. What are we actually trying to do? I find that quite interesting um, as a response. It's, it's not the one that you typically get for people when talking about, you know, performative activism, etc. Yeah. And Rita, who are your role models in life? The people that influence you the most? I'm influenced and inspired by so much and so many people. I don't really know how to answer the question. I think a lot of other activists, a lot of other people that have come before me, um, a lot of writers, um, a lot of protesters, a lot of people in history who have who have fought for different causes, whether that's civil rights, um, whether that's um, LGBT rights, whether that's women's rights. I think a lot of people have, have come before me to do to do different things that have, that have allowed me to have the freedoms that I have. Um, and I think a lot of people that I uh, follow on, on social media as well, but I think um, anyone that kind of breaks, breaks the status quo and breaks, you know, what is considered the norm, you know, and, and fights for our rights. And I think actually that's quite a lot of people. It's actually, you know, a ton of people that I follow online and on social media and books that I read. So I think it's not just any one person. Um, mm-hmm. I'm influenced by people from lots of different walks of life. So different races, different ages and different ethnicities, different genders, different sexualities it, from different disciplines. There might be musicians or writers or politicians. Um, but I think if someone is doing or saying something that I find inspiring, then... I make sure I make an effort to follow their work and drop them a message and let them know that I think they're awesome. So I don't know if that really answers your question because it's not a, it's not a name or anything like that, but I'd say I'm always open to feeling inspired and I think that's that's where I get a lot of my inspiration and motivation from, actually. Yeah, no, and that's great. It doesn't have to just be um, one name. As you said, being open to being inspired, I think is just like the best mindset. Mm. Totally. So Rita, one more question for you and one which I think is key for our audience. What advice do you have for young people who are struggling with their identity and are still trying to figure out these topics for themselves? I think it relates to to the last point in the sense that I think there's only one you, babe. Mm. There's only one you. There's only ever going to be one you in this world or in any world, right? So the most important person in your life is you, right? The only person whose opinion really matters is you. The only person whose love that you really need is yours, right? So how how do you feel about yourself? And that's the stuff to look at. That's the stuff to unpack. Because quite often, for, for I would say all of us as human beings, actually, 
our relationship with ourselves has been so affected by the way that we were treated, the way that we were raised, and so many things that we didn't have any control over as children. And all of us carry some scars from that time, even if we had the best, most loving family in the world. Um, there are things that happen that we have no control over and things that affect us. That's part of being a human being. And I think our number one job is to build a relationship with ourselves that is really loving. And it's taken me a long time to really get to a place where I can I can now say that I'm, I have that and I, I'm doing that as the number one priority in my life. Instead of seeking that from other people, it's not anyone else's job to give you that sense of love and safety and security. That's your number one job, you know? And when you're giving that to yourself, when you're speaking to yourself kindly, um, that kind of self-talk is so important. And are you being gentle and kind and loving and patient with yourself? When we're doing that, we'll start to notice that what the way other people treat us changes as well. And sometimes when we're not being treated the way that we want to, we feel like it's something they're doing. And often, you know, yeah, sometimes we need to be able to walk away from people when they're not respecting and valuing us. But the number one question is, are we respecting and valuing ourselves? And I think that's the number one space to be in. And that requires nothing but really just sitting with ourselves. And practices like writing, in the, writing every day, particularly first thing in the morning, are a really great way to start to understand ourselves and also be able to look back at that. And, you know, a lot of the resources that are available online to allow us to um, sit and relax or, or meditate or, you know, get in touch with our, our, our friends and, and loved ones to feel supported are really important. But it really starts with ourselves. Mm. That's, yeah, that's really interesting. I think that that's all it really comes down to. It really starts with ourselves in mm. terms of, you know, finding our own identity, but also in terms of supporting the community. Um, but thank you, Rita, so much yeah, for that you. insightful That was so eloquent as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, bless you both. Thank you. You're Come. both wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, I think me and Maya have enjoyed having this discussion with you. Definitely. If our audience want to learn more about LGBT History Month or the fight for LGBTQ plus rights, Scouts hold a panel event over Zoom on the 23rd of February at 7pm with guests including Professor Sue Sanders, the co-founder of LGBT plus History Month UK, Professor of Harvey Milk Institute and an LGBT plus youth campaigner for over 40 years and Persia West, trans rights activist and international consultant author and peace campaigner. You can watch the panel by going to scouts.org.uk slash LGBT panel. And you can also read about the history of LGBT History Month and why it's so important that we as Scouts celebrate it by going to scouts.org.uk forward slash LGBT history blog. Happy LGBT History Month, everyone. A huge thank you once again to our guest, Rita Loy. You can, of course, follow her online at ritaloy.com, where you can find loads more info about her music, documentary making and her writing, of course. This has been a Media Cage production. Thank you for listening. Subscribe to the channel and be first to download the next episode of the Scouts podcast. Until then, goodbye. See ya. See ya.